Welcome to the Wild Feather, everyone. We have Carolyn Lowe with us today. She is the CEO of ROI Swift, a digital marketing agency and the author of Business Growth, The Do's and the Don'ts. She went from an $8 billion division of Dell to a $3 million startup before she started her own agency. And she started her own agency out of a need to secure herself a job. She gives marketing and advertising tips, shares her hiring lessons, and talks about finding your tribe. Let's hear what Carolyn has to say. You have a very successful marketing agency. Is it an advertising agency too? Digital marketing. We mostly focus half our business on growing brands on Amazon and the other half through paid search and social, mostly Google and Meta. Gotcha. Um, I feel like Amazon is a beast. I have um, personally recruited for people that focus on Amazon and wow. Like diving into that world is a beast. Apparently it changes all the time. <laughs> like you just, I don't know, that's a conversation for another day, but that's incredible because I think companies need that help for sure. So that's fantastic that you offer those, that service. So tell us, how did you get started? Um, how did you become an entrepreneur? I think it, you have a very interesting background uh, and I won't steal your thunder, but tell us how you became a founder, why you became a founder. Um, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Brooke. We, um, so this is before, this is kind of a scary story. A friend's daughter who's graduating from college <laughs> just called me and asked for some help and some LinkedIn and some sort of career counseling. And I realized I started in e-commerce before she was born. I, I realized <laughs> <laughs> that my career in e-commerce started before she was born. So that was, that was a way to make yourself feel feel not so um, young anymore, mm -hmm. but I am, um, I, I worked in, in Boston in direct marketing, catalog marketing, you know, that was all iPhones didn't exist in the late nineties. And in 1999, Dell recruited me to come down and run their consumer business in their catalog division. And so we mailed out 200 million catalogs a year. People were buying their first computer. Uh, MacBooks didn't exist uh, at the time. And so that was really fun. And, you know, starting from nothing, we were number six behind a company called Gateway, who's out of business now. And we grew it to number one with a, a fabulous team. And we became an $8 billion division and it just, it stopped being fun. So I really just determined. I love the growth stage. I love the early stage, um, figuring things out. Once we became a, a big, huge, you know, that division was bigger than most companies. So it just, it just stopped being fun. So, um, I, I left Dell in, in 2006, learned a ton, made some great, great friends. And then I, um, had, had two kids and I took some time off and just consulted with companies like DirecTV and Qualcomm and Callaway Golf. And then I, uh, in 2014, I took 
my first job after my kids were in, in elementary school after consulting. And I, um, I went to work for a small mom and baby company. They were a $3 million company. They'd been stuck at 3 million for many years. And I came in and I was their marketing team of e-commerce, Amazon. I ran their website, their Google, their Facebook, their email marketing, and their fledgling Amazon business. And I helped them 4X within a year. Um, and that was oh, really- wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And they, um, two years later, they got acquired by Reckitt Benkiser. So they had a lovely acquisition. And um, I realized I wanted to do this for other companies, but uh, I was afraid I was going to lose my job. Actually, I was a year in and they started making $10 vitamins and you can't make money on $10 vitamins online. You can do that in Target and Walmart and Babies R Us. And so they sort of changed their product direction. I was afraid I was going to be out of a job. So I went to one of the founders who was not involved in the day to day and asked her to be a reference for me. And she said, no, you can't leave. You you single-handedly grew our business. We have been stagnant for so many years. You can't leave. And so she said, let's have coffee tomorrow. So I had coffee with her and a, an amazing founder who started a company called Build a Sign, grew it to 100, 100 million and sold it. Um, and we decided to start a digital agency because no one really had good Amazon experience or digital marketing. And there are a whole bunch of like snake oil salesmen out there. So I, I feel a little bit like an imposter. I'm, I'm sort of the accidental entrepreneur. I didn't mean to start a business. I was just afraid I wasn't going to have a job. <laughs> That's great though. You would be surprised how many founders I speak with that didn't set out to start a um, company or that wasn't their ammo. They were just trying to solve a problem. Right. So in those early days, how long did it stay just the three of you? After, you know, they were fantastic. They, they brought a fantastic network. They were both part of entrepreneurs organization. And so they were very well connected. They were part of EO and YPO, uh, young president's organization. So they really brought the network and they really helped acquire the clients in the first couple, you know, um, mm -hmm. first couple years. And then after that, uh, I was the only one of the three of us working in the business and as much as mm -hmm. I love them, it, it was sort of painful to hand over two thirds of the profits every quarter um, to folks that weren't involved in the day to day. Yeah, I can imagine that had to be uh, that had to be hard to stomach. It was, and after talking to you know, I was on this global Zoom. Uh, during COVID uh, with all these other founders around the world from entrepreneurs organization. And they all kept saying, best thing I ever did, buy out my co-founders. So I got to the point where I, I said, what's the worst they can say? No. And I think a lot of times right. like we stop ourselves and our inside voices are probably um, so far off from reality. So I just asked the question if they would be open to it and they're wonderful people and they were open to it. And so I said, I either need to own all this or I need to go find another job. So they were open and you know, I, I bought them out two months later. Wow, that's awesome. So how many people do you have working for you now? Uh, 15. 15. And along the way, did you have any challenges or what are some things that you learned? Like what's been your biggest learning lesson in building your agency? 
No, it's been smooth sailing 100% of the time. You know, nothing has gone wrong. <laughs> nothing. No glitches. None. Nope. That's been perfect. You know, there's a graphic that's just like an up and down. It's like the life of an entrepreneur, you know, really high highs and really low lows. Um, right. But I think, honestly, my my biggest learning has has been around people. I mean, Dell did amazing things in the early 2000s um, because of the amazing people. And one of my, one of my VPs I worked for at Dell really said, you know, hire people smarter than you. And the best thing I can do is be the dumbest person in the room. And, you know, that's my goal is to try and hire people smarter than me. Uh, and, and just get as many as experiences as you can. And, and, you know, especially in a services business an agency business, it is all about the people, you know, one, one wrong person on the bus really can, can mess up the whole company. And so we really work hard on our core values interviews before we hire someone. And I'm happy to say we really do have, you know, finally all A players, but, you know, I went through a lot of folks that shouldn't have been there in the first place. And, and it's, that's the worst part of owning any business or being a manager is just, you know, freeing someone up to find their happiness somewhere else. When it comes to hiring, be, um, make sure, do your, I, let me rephrase this, do your due diligence in qualifying the person of like what your needs are and culture fit and to see if they have the right values and mentality that are needed for your environment, right? For your company. But then also if you were to hire them, then you need to help recognize quickly that they may not be the best solution or fit for what your needs are and then help them find what's best suited for them. Yes. Yes. And we even restructured one of our departments around that. There were folks that said, I love this part of my job, but not this part of my job. So we actually restructured and made people specialists in the things that they love to do. So some people love to do the advertising side of Amazon. Others love the organic side, like testing titles and changing images and doing all this keyword research. And so we actually restructured our entire team. And I, we haven't had anyone leave our Amazon team in over three and a half years, which is crazy for an agency. Okay. Usually it's like two years, but they love what they do. They have autonomy. Um, really, I, I, I ask them all the time. Every quarter I meet with every team member individually and just ask them what's working, what's not, what would make them leave. And they said it would have to be a ridiculous sum of money to get me to leave. So if it's <laughs> just money, then I, I can't solve for that, but everything else I can solve for. Yeah. I think that's great, though, that they're playing to their strengths. And as a great leader, uh, you're creating the opportunity for them to utilize their strengths, right? Like, I think that speaks volume volumes about your leadership style, uh, which I can't say that all leaders do that. Um, and I know for startups, like this topic is a very near and dear. It's very near and dear to my heart because... Um, I know how expensive it can be to make a bad hire, yes. <laughs> especially in a startup. It can ruin you. Like it can take your company down. So um, I think that that's a very valid point um, for startups, especially. I mean, 
for any company, but for startups, I think it has a monstrosity impact if you're not careful, right? Depending on the role. Absolutely. So, you know, you have a very, um, I guess, I guess I would say a dynamic and really broad breadth of knowledge and experience coming from an enterprise company like Dell, managing a multi-billion dollar team, division, whatnot, and then going to start a, a startup and growing that and then starting your own. So what questions do you get asked the most? Yeah. So I, I mentor a lot of early stage e-commerce and CPG companies, and they always ask, you know, how should I sell on Amazon? Um, does it make sense for me? What, you know, what should I be spending on advertising? Um, and then a lot of times we get people come to us saying, Hey, I want to run digital ads. And I'll say, Whoa, Whoa, hold on. You know, um, let's look at all your other metrics, you know? And so there's, so in the book, I sort of share, Hey, these are some of the red flags in your e-commerce business. So if you're selling online, um, go look at these things. These are the baseline metrics. If you don't have these, here's what to go to. Um, same thing with Amazon. These are the fees. These are the ones that don't make sense. You know, we, we had a $30 million company come to us and they were, they were selling, you know, 20% of their products were unprofitable on Amazon. I said, you would make more money if you stopped selling these products. Like if you stopped doing this, you would actually make more money. And, and so there's a lot of profitability and how to think about this. And then there's also in the book, a, a lot about culture. Like I said, we, we talked about that and that's so important. I feel like to the success or failure of a company, you know, Amazon has that saying it's always day one. So each day you can start over and the next great idea can come from there. And so I, I talk a little bit about culture, but the other half of the book is really about e-commerce for business owners, really for, for business owners, like 30 to 50 million or less, like here's how you can optimize. Um, and then the other thing that I advise folks on too, that we talked about is just really being scrappy. If you're less than a million, like you don't need fancy office space. You don't need 13 marketing people. It's like we uh, outsourcing is your friend. I mean, we, we outsource as much as we can legal accounting, bookkeeping, you know, um, HR, you know, there's so many great tools, um, that outsourcing is, is definitely your friend when, um, you know, if you're not good at it and you don't like to do it, outsource it. Like I, I'm so surprised right. by founders I have doing stuff they're not good at and they don't like to do. And I was like, there's someone that is totally their jam. Like my accounting person, that is her thing. She loves QuickBooks. She'll sit in there all day and like, that's her happy place. And I can do it, but it's not my happy place. And it's not the best use of my time. So, and right. Right. she's like $500 an hour. Like, why would I do that? Well, plus I have this conversation a lot is the amount of time that it would take me to do the work that I am not good at and don't like, yes, I can do it, but how much is my time worth is mm -hmm. my question always. And mentally, how much is my, uh, sanity? <laughs> yes. Right. Like, what price is my sanity? And so I think about it like in those perspectives. And there's so many great resources out there like Fiverr and Upwork and like any of it, you know, 
like for me, if I had to edit a video or if I had to create some type of marketing Adobe, whatever it would take, I could do it, but it would take me hours, right? Versus just getting someone to do it. Now you mentioned a resource that I want to include on this because I'd never heard of it, but it, did you say it's go to marketer? Is that it's right? Marketer hire. So we've used them for marketer marketer hire and they're all vetted. That's the problem when you try and hire someone, everybody looks good on paper, right? On Upwork or right. Fiverr, they'll say, oh yeah, I've done this. I've done this. Well, marketer hire, they're all vetted. They all go through assessments. They all, you know, they're expert marketers that work there that are hiring the people. So there's, you know, we, we have had nothing but great luck with that. So we'll use them sometimes to cover maternity or paternity or some overflow work where we're, you know, we might, we might've hired someone, but they're not, you know, fully onboarded yet. So yeah, they, they've, they've been great for us, market or hire. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to uh, list that in the notes too. Cause I think a lot of these companies starting out, they could utilize services like resources of that nature right yes um and as you said like within your company you do like a try to buy scenario so you'll start individuals on contracts shall we say on a contract basis um at times to get a feel for them they get a feel for you to make sure that they're in a player before you bring them on full-time i think that's a very um smart and wise way to do it, especially for a startup. So then you're not, I mean, let's face it. If you hire them full time, if I had to learn this the hard way and then down the road, it's just not working out, then you could be stuck paying unemployment as well and dealing with all of that stuff from an HR perspective. Yes. When, if you just kept them on contracts and taxes and like, there's so many different layers from an HR standpoint and a financial standpoint when you pull people on full time. Yeah. And you were talking too about the benefits, right? So every employee is actually ends up costing 30 to 35% more than, you know, what you pay them in salary between your taxes and benefits and um, 401k and all of those other benefits that uh, we also reimburse cell phones up to $75 a month. So once you add in all of our, you know, reimbursements. It's, it's a not insignificant percentage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So from a marketing standpoint, you, it sounds like your biggest takeaway is you don't have to hire a CMO right away from, if you're a startup, you can outsource. There are many different things. I think it sounds like you really need to leverage or understand like what your product's doing right now, what your goals are and um, make sure that it's, you're getting the most for your buck or where you're, the resources you're using or the medium, shall I say, the medium of which you're selling from an e-commerce standpoint, like Shopify, Amazon, website, uh, all the other things out there, right? Um, so do you tell these companies to just drop the products that aren't performing well, or do you give them, is it better to find a workaround on Amazon or try it on a different, completely different strategy? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So with Amazon, you know, most of the products, 
you want to sell Prime, which means Amazon fulfills it for you. So you can get the two day or same day delivery. But so there's cases like if your product is less than $15, it's really hard to make money. Amazon's going to charge you 15% in fees just to list on their, you know, on their platform. And then they're going to charge you the, usually the lowest FBA fees in, you know, $4. So if you're paying on a, say you've got a $10 product, you're going to pay $1.50 in listing fees. And then, you know, you're probably going to pay another $4 in fulfillment. And at the end of the day, you, you're not going to have anything left. So we sort mm-hmm. of look at, um, you know, we like products to be at least 20 to $25, you know, really hard to make money. There's a lot of products out there that aren't making money on Amazon. And then we'll look at different size counts. So for example, your first couple pounds might cost you $4 to fulfill, but if you up the size, um, or the count, you might only pay 50 cents more in fulfillment. So we've done this with a lot of brands where we said, okay, make a bigger size and your fees as a percentage will go down from like 50% to 30%. So we try and, you know, um, give them some strategic consulting on profitability. Like these are the products that aren't going to make money. You should stop selling them. This is how you could make money on them. Um, those kinds of things. Now, what about outside of Amazon, from a digital marketing standpoint, what do you think the strongest strategies are right now? The strongest strategies is, is really, I tell this when people are just starting out, you know, meta, meta, which is Facebook and Instagram needs 50 conversions a week to optimize. And so if you think about that, say it costs you $50 per conversion times 50 conversions a week, you need $2,500 a week just to run one campaign. So it, it learns and optimizes. So what I see a lot is people say, well, I spent $2,000 last month on, on Facebook and it, it didn't work out. And I was like, well, that's because it didn't have enough data to optimize. So a lot of times what I see is people will slow row themselves out of 30 or $50,000 over a course of a year where you would have been better off to spend, you know, 10,000 a month for three months. And you would have got three times the return on your investment. So a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, or like their website has some issues. So don't run ads until you have, you know, we have a metric that's 642. So on your Shopify store, if you're getting 6%, add something to their cart, 4% start your checkout and 2% checkout. If your average order value is less than hundred, those are like the baseline metrics. So people will come to us and their conversion rate will be 1.5 instead of two. I said, you're never going to make money on digital ads. So go fix your website and don't waste any money. So I, I think about 30% of the people that come to us, we say, don't hire us, go do this instead. Interesting. So now when you say fix your website, you're talking about like e-commerce where you can go and purchase something, right? Yes. So whenever you're talking about your website too, is it more of a content marketing slash branding, like tell your story, What or are there complications in... Um, appeal or the transactional part, or what do you think, like, what's the biggest thing that needs to be fixed? Um, usually, so there's right. The two different sites, which are transactional sites versus education or B2B or content sites. So on the commerce sites, it's usually one of two things. It's their pages are too slow and nobody's going to sit around and Mm. wait for your page to load. So we'll do page speed tests when someone comes to us and wants to hire us. We want to make sure it loads in two seconds or less. And then the other big thing is like that product detail page. Um, 
And, and so people will have these convoluted product detail pages that say, okay, find your biggest competitor or go to Nordstrom or go to REI or go to someone who's got a huge development team and look at their product page because they are A-B testing the heck out of that thing. And so they know the best product page design. So if you don't know it, go find you know a competitor or a big brand that's doing really well in e-commerce and, and mimic their product pages. Mm-hmm. Same conversion yeah. rates of like, when I worked for the mom and baby company, I, I redesigned their product detail page and uh, move things around, move buttons up higher, got, got things, you know, in a, in a different order and it like increased their conversion rate by 20%. So they didn't have to spend any more money. Oh, wow. They just rearranged the product page. Yeah. So I've heard, I, I don't run ads. I mean, I don't have products. Right. Um, like a physical product, um, yet, shall we say? Yes. But yes, I, I love that. Uh, yes. Right. Uh, but I've never ran ads on Facebook to make a long story short. However, I have had guests and founders tell me it's really hard to track the, now I don't know, cause I don't know all the details, but something about it's really hard to track I don't know if it's the conversions or it's, I don't know. You, they can't get it down to like the nitty gritty. Is there, is that true? And is it, it I'm sure it changes a lot, right? So has it gotten better? And what should we look out for when it comes to that? Yeah, I think, you know, privacy, Apple, first party data, all that is going to be critically important. I mean, like Amazon has the most data on all of us between Whole Foods and Amazon. They probably know more about us than, you know, our family members, but on the, on the brand side, yes, since iOS 14, there's less data. People have opted out of tracking. There are privacy issues, but we still, you know, are growing brands like crazy, um, on those platforms. And then there's like tools you can use for attribution. So it looks across all the different touches. Um, Google's got some things in the works. So it's more difficult than it has been in the past, but it's not impossible. And you can still grow business very profitably on those channels. Like some of our brands, that's 90% of their sales come from, um, you know, paid, paid ads. Paid ads. Hmm. How much do you think you have to spend when you were talking about the Facebook, shall we say, uh, is there a minimum if they don't have data, like you said, $10,000 for three months was the example, right? Is there, should you expect to pay that amount in order to get results? If you're small and you're just starting out and nobody knows your brand or do you not, do you not do ads and you just try to build an audience and awareness? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, if you're, you know, you, you can optimize for different things. If you want website traffic, if you want people just to add to your cart, so you can get those 50 conversion events in other ways, but most of the brands we work with are really looking for purchase conversions. But, you know, at the very least, what we tell people is if you can't go for your sort of new customer acquisition, at least use it to maximize your retargeting. So someone who went to your website, but 
you know, didn't fill out the contact book form or, you know, and just retarget them. We, we actually did some really good retargeting with some high-end condos. They were downtown Austin condos selling for half a million. And so we would run Google display ads to, you know, Facebook is downtown, Google's downtown, Indeed is downtown Austin. So we would run ads to anybody that was in that zip code um, and then just retarget them until they filled out, a, you know, a interest form or a contact form. So you can, there's ways you can spend less and still make money. But if you want to do sort of larger scale, new customer acquisition, we usually recommend like a, a 10 to $15, 10 to 15,000 a month budget. Really? The more you spend and actually the less it costs you per acquisition, which seems counterintuitive, but yeah. Uh, it's kind of like buying things in bulk. It sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> so from a founder and owner standpoint or CEO, shall I say, uh, what are some like ambitions that you have, or what would you say your aspirations are for growth? Yeah, so we have a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. We used to call it something different at Dell. But, um, and so our goal is to help a thousand emerging brands grow profitably by 2030. And we've helped about 212. So I've got a little bit of job security. So I don't think I'm going anywhere soon. But, you know, in, in terms of growth, all of our growth has been referral and word of mouth. And so we're actually going to hire our first salesperson um, to grow, you know, a little faster. It's, as you know, it's very hard to predict referrals and it's hard to staff for sort of, you know, great, you know, 10 new brands came on this month and then the next month it might be two. And so it's really, really, lovely. so I think that my biggest challenges are getting the right people, not challenges, but my biggest areas are getting the right people on the bus, um, setting people up for growth, removing obstacles, um, letting them be successful constantly. You know, we're doing a lot with AI, um, and, and new technologies. And so that's really the fun part. I feel like I'm just the enabler. I just get the right people and set them loose. And, you know, so we, you know, sometimes it, it, in bigger companies, it would take a lot to get things changed. Whereas the nice thing is anyone has an idea, a way to do it better, cheaper, faster. I mean, we can turn on a dime. We've, we've implemented software. Like last, last month, one of our employees came to us and said, Hey, our expense report, you know, cell phone reimbursement process is not working. So I went to our accountant and she's like, Oh, just have them give me a copy of their bill. And we'll just automatically add it to their paychecks on the 15th and the 30th. And we're like, wait a minute. So we never have to do expense reports again for cell phones. And she said, no. So this is, this is what I love is sort of the speed, um, that, and that everybody is free to come up with a better way of doing things. If it's something as simple as like cell phone reimbursements, um, or as complex as finding a AI solution for a problem that we're seeing in one of the platforms. Yeah. There's so many cool things coming out with AI. Uh, really cool. Some of them still have things to work out, but some of them are good. <laughs> yeah. And I would say too, <laughs> the other big thing is personal and, and team development too, for us. Um, with all these women founders that I mentor, 
what I found is the most helpful for them because as you know, as a founder, sometimes you feel like you're on an island, right? You need a tribe, you need a network. And, you know, I sort of say I'm network rich and cash poor. I, you know, I, I, I worked with the CEO of Costco. I mean, I've got some amazing connections. And so the one thing that I see people don't do enough of is just sort of leverage their network. And I've seen, like, I, I helped this person raise, you know, their first like 2 million round because I introduced them to three other people. So I would say, you know, obviously lean on your network and, and talk to other founders. If, if you're a founder or CEO, it's like just having that network is so, so important. And I'm, I'm always connecting good people with other good people. And, um, and I don't think people spend enough time like actually working on their LinkedIn profile and, and really connecting. I tell college kids, I teach classes sometimes at UT, the University of Texas Macomb School of Business, they asked me to come in as a lecturer. And I'm like, you know, every internship you've had, you had an internship with like one of the biggest grocery stores in the country. You need to ask them for a recommendation at the end of your internship. So it goes on your LinkedIn profile, you know, like right. I got three college kids, their, their first job just by doing introductions. So I think networking and finding a tribe is so, so important too. Yeah, I would say add on to that because sometimes I feel like maybe you don't have the network, but you want to grow the network, but you don't, you're working from home and you've got so many things going on and whatnot. So one is, the first thing I was going to say is you can't be afraid to ask. Like, it's okay to ask for help or ask if, who do you know that does this? I'm looking, like, you just can't be afraid to ask, but to do you have any recommendations on organizations or networks that people can connect with and be part of? Cause I run, I've, I run into this myself. Like I don't really have a lot of time to be going to actual networking events. I do have a, a big network. Maybe I need to touch them more and reach out to them more. Right. But I would love to join more organizations and be involved. However, some of them come with really costly um, memberships. And I, it's not the cost that matters. It's the, well, what do I get in return for if I'm going to upfront that money? What's the return on that? And so that's, I'm just curious what's good and what's not, or do you have any recommendations for those types of organizations? Yes. Oh, great question. It's true. Um, the one, the one that helped me a lot was we had, um, you know, I talk about entrepreneurs organization, but there's a program called accelerator for businesses that are 250,000 or more. And what I love is that it's really focused on the learnings that you need. There's a whole day. It's once a quarter, there's a day, there's a day on learning, uh, sorry, on people, on cash, on strategy and on execution. And that some of the, the people that come in and teach these are amazing, you know, and just the access you have to these people. And then, um, and so I, I recommended that to a lot of founders who are doing maybe, you know, 800,000 to a million. And then over a million, I, I really do like uh, entrepreneurs organization. Um, you know, in Austin, we have 220 of us that are founders of businesses, a million or more, and some are much, much, much bigger. And, um, but I love that monthly there's a forum and I have seven people in my forum and we all get together and we talk about the stuff that you really can't talk about with other 
people, right? Like you can't tell your, you know, you can't, there's a very, very famous person who I can't say this woman's name, but who basically almost went out of business and then fast forward five years, you know, sold her business, half her business for a billion dollars. And so these are the kind of like, you know, and when I say find your tribe, so I I've really enjoyed EO, but there's so many different groups. There's Vistage, um, there's EO, there's YPO if you're doing 10 million or more. So there's a lot of good groups out there, but also it's just looking at, um, you know, just reaching out to other founders in your area too, or other people in your mm-hmm. area. Like the CMO, this, this woman here in Austin hired a CMO from the Bay area and she came from Pinterest and she's like, she doesn't know anyone here. Can you connect her? So I, I introduced her to 12 other CMOs in Austin that I, that I knew and she got her tribe. So now she can talk about like, Hey, here's some of my marketing challenges. So I, I would say definitely, especially in, in this world of, you know, video conferences and less in person, like it, it is kind of, it is, it is kind of nice to have that network. And I try and take like four or five coffee meetings a month. You know, people will be like, well, you have coffee with this person. And, and I try and do that and, and give back and, you know, take four or five of those meetings a month. I think that's fantastic and great advice. Um, I love it. And I think if you just dig a bit, you can find groups or organizations like your tribe. We just had um, a lady that um, founded Parlay House, which is like groups within cities of women, all women. And uh, they get together and talk about anything and everything, but like real raw, like real stuff, right? Like it's not, um, I don't know. It's not generic or general stuff, shall we yeah. say? Their topics are pretty deep. Uh, and so I feel like there's, it keeps coming up more and more. I feel like there's a real um, desire for people to connect with others, especially after what the world's gone through recently, but maybe just trying to navigate through all of the organizations, figuring out which one's good. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of great meetups. Like in Austin, there's a CPG meetup that someone hosts and there's 75 to hundred CPG brand owners that get together for coffee once a month and share like, Hey, I'm using this new co-packer or this, you know, marketing agency is great. Or here's how I cut my costs by 20%. So there, I mean, if you go on meetup.com, there's probably something in your business area, in your area. So it's just a matter of finding the right one for you. Yeah. Putting forth some effort. Uh, yeah. So what do you want your legacy to be? Um, my legacy is that I would love to see more than 2% of venture money going to founders, female founders. Um, Mm. and you know, when I was at Dell, we, we used to joke, we called it the God pod. That's where Michael Dell and Kevin Rollins, who was a COO at the time. And Michael was a CEO. You'd go up to the God pod to present. And it, and I looked at the executive team and it was a whole bunch of white dudes and me. And I am just so happy that my 12 year old daughter is not going to grow up in a world where it's a whole bunch of white dudes and her. So my legacy is that, you know, for me, it's, it's not big. I I don't, I don't think I'm, I can change the world. I'm no Gandhi, 
But the fact that, you know, if I can influence my daughter to the point where she knows that she can do anything that any man can do pretty much, um, in terms of the business world, like that, that would be my legacy is just empowering as many women as I can. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. And I have one other question for you. Do you ever struggle with the balance between startup and children? Do you ever have that tug of like, I, it's like an internal war. I'm not saying that you do, but I'm just curious if you do. Like I need to be spending time at work, but I really need to be spending time with my kids scenario. Yeah, I, it, it's, I think it's, if you say that's not an issue for you, but that's, you know, I think you're lying. You know, when I was at Dell, it was mostly <laughs> all male executives and the women stayed home and took care of the kids. I mean, this was 20 years ago. Like I was one of the, you know, right. few, there were a few women that worked and they all had to have full-time nannies. And, um, and, and so what I try to do is be present when I'm at work and be present when I'm at home. And, um, you know, having, having a hybrid office like we do is helpful when I'm there, I'm there. And then when I'm at home, I'm, I'm at home, but I, I make time to, I, I usually try to block my calendar one day a week to take my son in to school when he has first period off, he's in high school. So he has to get there at seven 30 mm -hmm. for his carpool. But if he doesn't have first period, he doesn't have to be there till nine 30. And if you can imagine, you know, being a 15 year old, those extra two hours of sleep are like gold. So I will block my calendar. We'll go and we'll get coffee and we'll chat. And, you know, that's our sort of, um, alone time, Morning catch up mom. time in the car. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I was just curious cause I feel like that topic I know we all deal with it, but sometimes it, um, I think it's just a given and I don't think it's addressed sometimes. I mean, as a founder, I think it's even more, uh, intense. I don't know. Cause I feel like you have all this weight on your shoulders of, we put the pressure on ourselves really, but, um, there are outside factors as well. So I just thought I'd ask. I agree. Do you, I love um, that, that how, how do you solve the work? life balance? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a resolution, I'll be honest. And uh, the past couple of weeks, it's been really difficult because I just have so much on my plate right now. And I just shut it off though. I, I try to do what you do is like, I just focus on what's in front of me at this point and I just have to make some hard stops. And I know I'll never get the time back with my daughter. So I really try to, I do time blocks, right? And the time that I don't have her with me, I make it as efficient, as effective and execute as much as possible, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I totally but, agree. And, and I think that, you know, having, having that time and realizing that that time is fleeting and it's like, really is what you're doing. Are they going to remember that you weren't at their performance? Of course, they're going to remember that. I, is someone going to remember that you didn't send that email or, you know, do that follow-up? Right. Of course not. You know, that stuff, that stuff people forget, but, you know, people remember when you're not there. And we just went to this great UT learning event and the, the guy who teaches it, he's, he's fantastic. He's like, yeah, don't go to the weddings of your employees, go to the funerals uh, of 
their loved ones. Cause they, when you, they remember when you show up for the funeral, they don't remember when you show up for the wedding, they're all drunk. It doesn't matter. You know, so he's, he's coached all these politicians <laughs> and says, show up for the funerals. So yeah. I guess that's good advice. Yeah. What are we going to say? That's, I mean, it's true though. You, I mean, I haven't been, I haven't had to go to a funeral lately, but you do remember who comes because it means so much to you. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they came. Yes, that's exactly. Cool. Uh, well, cool. Yeah. Right. Well, I so appreciate you taking some time to chat and sharing what you do and all the great advice that you gave. It's uh, amazing. And is your book out where people can purchase it? How do they get yes. your book? The, her it's book's on called Business Growth, The Do's and Don'ts. Sorry. Yes, it's on Amazon, shockingly. Yay, I wondered. Uh, yeah, so we're going to leave a link in the... Um, the info below, uh, along with her website. And if you need any marketing help, they are where it's at. She, they're doing fantastic work in Amazon. So especially if you have products and you're wanting to get those out on Amazon, that'd be great. But I so appreciate you taking some time to chat with us and all the great advice and, uh, have a great time at your EO event. Thank That's you. Fun. Coming up. Yes. And I, yeah, keep us in touch and let us know. We want to see you succeed and hit the um, the 2030 goal. So the 1,000, 1,000 customers. So let us know how we can help. Is there anything that we can do to help now? Um, oh, thank you, Brooke. That's so kind. Uh, yeah, if you know any brands that are not happy with how they're doing on their paid advertising, on their, you know, to drive their website, Shopify sales, or if they're not happy with their Amazon or they're stagnant, you know, the brands we can really help are usually doing about three to 50 million. So startups are a little harder to get going. Um, but if you're an established brand and you know, you're doing 80,000 a month or more on either Shopify or Amazon, that's where we can really sort of put them on the rocket ship, uh, to growth. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I will, uh, keep that in mind and I would be happy to, uh, refer you anyone as well. Thank and, uh, any of our guests that we have on the podcast as well, I'll keep that in mind because we get a lot of folks with products and, uh, they sell in multiple channels. So that would be great. Uh, so we'll keep us posted. Let us know. And I'm going to read your book. I can't wait to do that. We'll share that information and, um, good luck with everything. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see your growth. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me, Brooke. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. 
No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings.